All right, so I got a little more time with Guy Gilchrist. I'm not going to waste his time. This is too important because we have to give just put a little cap here on, on the Muppet saga. You ended up at the White House as a guest of honor. How did that? Co- how did, did that come about? That's unbelievable. Very few people can say that. How did that happen? And and how come Jim Henson wasn't the guest of honor? It's his stuff, right? <laughs> That's Jim. I mean, it was just it's it's all Jim. You know, it's it, it was the way that he was. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about uh, the the whole idea about how he treated everyone, you know, equally and as a team and all of that. And uh, when President Reagan's uh, press uh, department called uh, Jim, asked him to come to the White House for Easter, uh, the Easter uh, celebration in 1984. So it would have been in, in uh, mid-83 that they called. And uh, they said, you know, Mr. Henson, uh, President Reagan's favorite comic strip is is The Muppets. Wow. So please, you know, come to the White House and, and, uh, and, you know, and, you know, and Jim just like, you know, and, and Jim was just like, oh, but that's, that's all the comic. Well, that's, that's, that's Guy. Send, send Guy. Guy, Guy would like that. Guy would like that. You know, and that's Jim, you know, just, oh, Guy, Guy would like that. Wow. He's good at that kind of stuff. Let's, let's send Guy. You know, that's his thing. And that was how it happened. And then uh, Jane uh, Leventhal from uh, Henson Associates, she called me and, uh, and told me, you know, that I was, I was going to the White House. <laughs> okay. And, uh, oh, and by the way, you know, draw the program cover and uh, do some artwork um, for, uh, you know, for Mrs. Reagan of uh, the, the Muppets. And, and uh, I did all of that. Then uh, I did go to the White House. They took all of the art that I did and put it in Smithsonian. And it was, I, what what can I even say? Uh, and it was all because Jim said, oh, well, that's guys. Send guy. Now, now, let me ask you a question here. So, so Ron, it's Ronald Reagan's favorite strip, comic strip, The Muppets. You're doing it. But everyone knows Jim mm-hmm. Henson as the right. face of The Muppets. So they ask Jim Henson to come. Do you think, and I mean no disrespect when I ask this question, but do you think when, when Jim Henson said... I'm not going to go, but I'm going to send Guy Gilchrist. There were. Do you think there was any shred of disappointment when you showed up and they were like, "Wait a second, who's this Joker?" <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I would. Did you said, clear security? Yeah, you know, I, think it, <laughs> I think you know. I. I mean, I certainly would have been, but, um, but, but uh, when I got the call, it was followed. Uh, it was a long time ago, so I'll mess this up somehow. But okay. Uh, this is Guy's version of it. After I got the call from Henson Associates uh, about it, then uh, pretty quickly uh, the White House got in touch with me and started, uh, you know, sending me, uh, you know, like the size of the program cover and stuff like that uh, and things that they wanted me to do. You know, had Jim gone, I was still going to be doing all of the artwork anyway. Right, right. Uh, and so then, uh, you know, and, and, and maybe because it was me and not Jim, uh, we, we didn't have a, they, uh, we didn't have, uh, we only had one walk around costume and that was a Fozzie bear that we had done for the Rose Bowl parade the year before. And, uh, and so Jim, 
had like four fraggles made and then had break dancers get into the fraggle costumes. And so you have break dancing fraggles and, uh, and Fozzie and then cartoon boy and fraggle handlers from what I remember. If I hear this <laughs> and the handler. Yeah, fra- the, yeah. Yeah. We had, a, we had, we had, uh, we, yeah, we had fraggle wranglers. Wranglers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only in entertainment. Do you get these types of stories? Uh huh. <laughs> Fraggle Wrangler. I mean, it was a pretty big deal. I mean, you were you were you were declared a national treasure, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, Mrs. Reagan. Uh, I didn't get to meet the president and uh, and first lady because President Reagan on Easter had turned over the hosting to Vice President Bush and Barbara Bush because he was in Reykjavik. Uh, because they were ending uh, the Cold War, the nuclear, <laughs> right. uh, you know, our nuclear arms race, right. you know, with uh, with Gorbachev at the time in Reykjavik. More pressing matters, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, uh, you know, it, it was kind of important, and and so uh, then Vice President Bush and his wife uh, were hosts, and that be- that began uh, a lifelong friendship uh, between uh, the president, uh, the first lady, and myself. Uh, right up until they passed, uh, they God bless them. I, I loved them dearly. But yeah, uh, but then uh, Mrs. Reagan, uh, when she uh, took the stuff and put it into uh, uh, the Smithsonian, sent me this lovely, lovely letter about being a national treasure, and I have it on my wall, of course. Of course, I treasure it. I treasure it, and I I can't believe that it. I can't believe it happened. I can't believe any of this stuff. Here's what I love about the story. Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan wanted to meet Jim Henson. Jim Henson sends you, and they send George, uh, Vice President George Bush. So yeah. the two second-in-commands are yeah. meeting. <laughs> like, how funny is that, right? <laughs> you know, and then um, I had my credentials. Uh, only myself and Isabel Miller. Um, Isabel was the head of licensing and merchandising and stuff uh, for Jim. Uh, only Isabel and I had the credentials to get into the White House. Everybody else was out on the lawn because I was going into the White House and I was autographing all day. Anyway, so I had autographed for about three, four hours. I had, you know, all these plastic things uh, around my uh, neck and uh, the, uh, tons and tons of lanyards, you know, yeah, and, yeah, uh, passes for, and you know, for whatever passages I had to get through. And uh, anyway, so then I go to the camper to to take a rest for a half an hour and take a nap. And the Fraggle Wrangler, the guy that was in charge of making sure the kids didn't push the Fraggles down the hill like right. they did the M&M boys, because <laughs> uh, those M&M boys, man, they rolled on right. forever. Uh, you know, they, you know they, they don't have any porta-potties or anything within like a mile at the White House because every place is being photographed. And uh, so they had those all down, you know, half a mile, a mile away. So he comes in and he goes, I got your ID stuff. You know, I've got to go use a restaurant, you know, in the White House. So I'm taking a break. So I just give him my stuff and I bring it right back. I go to take a nap. You're going to end up in jail. <laughs> Pretty much, almost. Because the, door, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, before you know it, I'm just about to lay down. There's a knock at the door. They said, hey, you've got to get inside and sign some more stuff. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm not even thinking. I go into the White House and with my horrible sense of direction, I make a left, you oh, know, boy. at Albuquerque when I shouldn't have made a right at Albuquerque, uh-huh. whatever. I'm walking down the wrong, t- 
I get grabbed by the uh, Secret Service. <laughs> I got no ID. I got no nothing. They put me in right. a room. <laughs> you're, you're lucky we heard from you again. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They put me in a room. You know, they go, let's see your ID. Da, 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 da. Let's see your ID. I'm freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. And this is 1984. I, uh, they had these giant uh, pads on a walkie-talkie that were attached to their uh, uniforms. Uh, and, uh, and out of self-preservation, I reached up, grabbed the pad, and in like five seconds, drew the fastest Miss Piggy I have in my life. Record. And I'm shaking, shaking, yeah. shaking, holding it. This is my ID, right? right. And, uh, and, they, and, and the Secret Service guy looks at me and he goes, oh, could you sign that to Sandy? <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Again, he's, I am so lucky. He's the men protecting the president, <laughs> right? That's. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, you're lucky. We, we may never have heard from you again. Guy Gilchrist could have been a legend yeah, know, of the man right? who disappeared in the White House for giving away his passes uh-huh. to go the to the bathroom. That, the way that I looked walking around that White House, oh please. <laughs> yep. So, so that's that is a, that is your artistic career, your, your illustration career, let's say, because you were obviously an artist in other ways. Let's quickly talk, uh, you know, briefly. We're going to stay in the writing area just really quickly because I found it really interesting. You designed a bunch of minor league logos, including the Portland Sea Dogs, the Norwich Navigators, the New Britain Rock Cats, and even for the Japanese soccer football for the rest of the world. You designed their mascot. How do you get gigs like that? Well, I love baseball. I'm a giant Red Sox fan. You have a giant, you have a championship ring. I believe that's how you and I started our conversation when I met you. You've got a giant uh, world championship. Oh, that is absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. A huge Red Sox fan. My first sports logo was the uh, the soccer logo that I did uh, for their you know their World Cup and stuff, uh, their World Cup team uh, over in Japan, and that came from. Uh, I was working with uh, uh, with a giant advertising agency PR firm uh, called Densu in Tokyo, and uh, with my tiny dinos, which were the characters that I created, the children's books and plushes and all of that, uh, with Warner Brothers. And uh, then once they had uh, made their run here in the United States, I showed them and marketed them over in uh, Japan, and they asked me if they were popular over there, asked me to come on over, and while I was over there, they asked if I would you know, create this character for them. So I did, and then when I got back to the States, uh, I visited with my old buddy, uh, who was the commissioner of the Eastern League, uh, minor leagues, uh, AA, uh, Charlie Eschbach, and uh, uh, he was the uh, commissioner of the Eastern League and had been general manager of the AA Red Sox in Connecticut. And uh, we got to talking, and uh, the, the league was about to expand. Uh, the Rockies and the Marlins eventually were the, the ones that came in. And anyway, and he went to work as president of uh, the Portland uh, team, which was the Marlins team. You know, asked me to, you know, to create uh, the logo and the character and all of that, which I did for the Sea Dogs. That was a huge hit. And then a bunch of other teams uh, got in contact with me uh, to to create. This was at the very beginning of minor leagues. You know, now in the minor leagues, uh, you know, whether it's uh, hockey, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, 
uh, everybody has their own identity with their own mascot and their own team right. and uh, name and all of that. But back in the, you know, in the eighties, uh, you know, if you were the New Britain Red Sox, you just added an N to the B. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, if you were the Redding Phillies, instead of a P, it was an R and that kind of thing. And you just got everything from, uh, you know, from the, the, the big team up top. Uh, but then they, they started to realize that, you know, gee, you know, if we had our own names and our own characters and this and that, we could make, you know, a lot of money. Uh, and uh, I was sort of, you know, in the cradle of that, at the birth of that. We did a lot. It was a, a, just an absolute blast. And I still do things with Portland. They're still around. Uh, they're Red Sox now, and they have been for several years. Every year I get up to Maine and, uh, you know, throw out a first pitch and stuff oh, like cool. that and still draw character, still draw the, the character and stuff for merchandise. It's a blast. I absolutely, you know, just just love that that whole thing of marrying, you know, kids to that sport, yep. you know, and sportsmanship and uh, and good health and all of that. You still got a little bit of mustard on your fastball? Dude, I never did. Okay. <laughs> I never did. <laughs> you get I it over the plate? That. I was, a, I was a one tool player. I could hit. <laughs> I, I ran like I had two Steinways on my back. Yeah. You know, uh, I had a stone glove and everything, but boy, I could hit. <laughs> hey, just get it out of the park. You don't have to worry about the rest. You're darn right. Let's put the let's put the art aside, the, the illustration art aside for a second. You are a country musician, a songwriter. You've done a lot for other people. You've got your own band. I believe, is it is it Guy Gilchrist in the comics? Is that the name of your band? Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you, first of all, the obvious question is, have you ever opened for Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem? Uh, that's my dream job. Right. Most of the Rolling Stones. So, no, I'm waiting. I'm really, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that call. Right. You know, and, and you know, and one of these days, uh, you know, one of these days, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, 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 you know, hoping, you know, to, uh, you know, to play rhythm while, you know, while, while Janice and Floyd are out in front. That would be amazing. I would love to see that. Yeah. So how did you get into country music? Three chords. Okay. You know. Power chords? Uh, <laughs> three chords. Uh, rock and roll, Chuck Berry. I always, uh, I always looked at artwork as telling stories. And then, uh, and songs, you know, as stories. And so it was all sort of the same, uh, to me. Uh, and, uh, I, uh, and when I did start writing, I wrote a lot of, uh, my children's books and stuff in rhyme. I found that I was a fairly decent lyricist, uh, and, uh, all through middle school and high school and stuff, I would, you know, uh, write uh, lyrics uh, for the bands in my school and all of that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, sort of in the background, you know, I was teaching myself, you know, a few chords. Eventually, I, you know, I I had melodies in my head. I didn't know how to play them. Uh, I kept, you know, practicing. I never got good at the guitar, but I did find that I had, you know, away with uh, being able to rhyme and uh, and tell stories in music the same way that I did in art. Uh, that's always been in the background. Uh, had I not made it uh, in cartooning, 
I was going to be a songwriter. Hmm. Uh, that was, uh, it, it was all the same to me. Uh, I remember being like six or seven years old, Dion, Dion and the Belmonts, Ron Sue and the Wanderer and Ruby Baby, Abraham Martin and John. I remember seeing him on our local version of our local American bandstand. And he sang Ruby Baby, not lip syncing, uh, but playing his Fender and singing on TV. And I was around six or seven years old, and I was drawing pictures, sitting there watching TV at my grandmother's house. And I saw how this one person made everybody happy. It was exactly what I wanted to do. And I looked at that piece of paper and the pencil and the drawing and stuff and connected it with you know, being able to sing and write a song. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with, with the idea of doing that. And I actually wound up collaborating with Dion on a song. And, uh, you know, and he and I became friends in the late 70s. Uh, meant the, means the world to me. Most of my heroes, a lot of my heroes I've gotten to meet and uh, gotten to work with. And uh, he's definitely one of them. Uh, and so that's how it, that's how it all started. I wrote a song uh, called Take Along My Lovin' for the Ride, the really long title. And it was the B-side uh, of a disco song by a girl named Carol Hahn. And it just barely broke the Billboard charts. But that gave me uh, a lot of hope and gave me a chance at, you know, getting a songwriting uh, contract and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's really always been in the background. And I'm, I'm glad that you asked about it. It never went away. Um, I did a little bit of reporting uh, right after high school and during high school. And then it was always something that I wanted to do a lot more of. And eventually, uh, when I was able to, uh, and it, the time uh, had come in my life for a big change, I moved from Connecticut and New York uh, to Nashville uh, to pursue that. Well, I mean, it's pretty incredible because country music is unique in that it is all storytelling. It's unlike pop music and, and other forms of music, even rock and roll, um, to a lesser extent. Rock and roll does tell some stories, but but it, it's really a story-driven medium, you know. And I think that it, that is perfect for what you're saying that your that your passions were. Yeah, well, you know, when 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 I was listening to you know AM radio back in the '60s. Uh, there was a lot of storytelling in, in a lot of ways. Because, you know, at that time, you had country music and folk music up against, uh, you know, uh, the Beatles and Credence and Aretha and, and everything was all on, on the same station when you listened to Top 40 Radio back in the day. Uh, but, of course, it's not really like that, you know, anymore. Really, you know, country and country rock is, a, is really the last place. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're where you're telling stories. Uh, I guess you're telling stories in hip hop. Yeah, I was well. going to say in, in know, some in rap a, songs, a, you're really in a different way. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely storytelling there for sure. Oh yeah, um, you know, but you know, but for me, the sort of you know that traditional country folk uh, kind of way of, of of telling a story, you know, it it goes back to you can take any Dr. Seuss song and put it to a Chuck Berry beat. <laughs> and you got yourself a song. That's pretty accurate, you know, yeah. Give it a try one of these days. Sure, yeah. 
There's a lot to that. You can. I mean, it's great. I saw this quote from um, Charlie Daniels. You know, he, he there was a letter of uh, a message of support for the stuff that you're doing. Did you have to sell your soul in order to get that uh, support from from him? <laughs> Charlie's the greatest. He's the greatest. I've, I've known him for like 25 years, and Charlie's been you know kind enough to uh, we work uh, charity uh, for uh, kids with terrible cerebral palsy and multiple sclerosis and stuff down in Florida uh, together, and I've been able to you know, go on stage and jam with him and sing with him and, and, uh, and all of that. And all the guys in his band and many of the guys in the Marshall band and, uh, quite a few bands. They, they've always known that, you know, that I wrote lyrics that I sang, you know, did demos and all that kind of stuff. And so when, uh, when I did get a recording deal, uh, a year or two ago, uh, Charlie was very, very kind in supporting him. Well, he's he's one of the few people I've seen in concert. I actually saw him play in concert live. He is unbelievable. He's really good. He's a dynamo, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's something. Uh, and, and so you also work with Dolly Parton, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dolly, I guess Dolly had wanted to work with me for uh, for a couple of years. You know, and, and of course, you know, that the Nancy deadlines and stuff, uh, you know, kind of got in the way and, and uh, but uh, but eventually, Dolly did a, a children's album in seventeen uh, called "I Believe in You." You know, I, it sold like six million copies out of the gate, and it's Dolly Parton. And uh, but she had sent me an advanced copy of it to listen to, and when I listened to the song, because she wanted me to to animate and illustrate, create a character named Little Dolly, like an eight-year-old or nine-year-old version of her, and uh, and do some music videos if I could, you know, figure it out. Uh, and I did. I thought that the songs on that record, uh, it wasn't just a children's record, it was a record for everybody. And it reminded me so much of uh, the vision of all of us together, uh, uh, you know, on the humanity team, loving each other, uh, you know, lifting each other up. Uh, the, the the same ideals that I've had my whole life that were instilled in me through first my mom and then, of course, really uh, with Jim, uh, very, very much. And so getting to do that project, I did like 13 videos wow. uh, for her. And uh, you can see those on, on my website. Uh, some of them, and then you can see all of them, you know, on YouTube and Vivo and all of that. Uh, but yeah, working with Dolly was uh, was one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. I can only imagine she's a legend. Um, I will put some of those videos up. Um, it's just incredible stuff. Last question: You have a song called "I Fell in Love with a Girl" on the cover of Victoria's Secrets. <laughs> yeah. What was your inspiration? Oh, uh, well. The cover of Victoria's Secret. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Wanted to. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, uh, I was still in Connecticut. I hadn't moved to Nashville yet. And uh, we had a gig that night uh, at a Mexican restaurant. Yeah, I know. Only a list uh, right. hot spots for Guy and his band, right? So yeah, we were yeah, playing, yeah. At this, uh, playing at a local Mexican restaurant. Anyway, uh, we play these four hour sets. And I'd have the guys, uh, you know, take breaks and stuff like that. And I'd play acoustically and, you know, while they took breaks and stuff at eight tacos. And one night, um, uh, and so, uh, uh, the, the morning, that morning, 
that morning I had, uh, I had gotten up and my girlfriend at the time, uh, you know, she had these catalogs like all over the place and stuff. And, you know, they'd be on the floor and stuff, you'd slide on them and everything. And I made up this thing, oh, I'm in love with the girl and cover of Victoria's Secret. And I wrote like a, you know, a, a sort of nonsense words. And I was playing around with them in the afternoon. And I had half the song and I sang it at the, at the restaurant that night. And all of my CDs, of course, they didn't have that song on or I'd written it that day. Uh, they all sold out at the bar. And I went, wow. well, hey, I think I got something here. <laughs> yeah. It's a hit. It'll get it's you in a front, hit, baby. It's going to get you in front of Dr. <laughs> Teeth for sure. Well, this has been incredible. Guy, thank you so much for taking all this time out for me, man. This has been absolutely amazing. Oh, hey, it's been really my pleasure. And, uh, and thank you so much.